I'm going to turn the service now over to Joe Castaneda, and he's, uh, he works full-time at the camp, the ministry in uh, Kalkaska, but he's a servant of the Lord, and he's going to be here to speak to us today. So, Joe, thank you. Thank very you very much. much. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you. It is uh, good to be with you again this morning. Uh, Crossroads Farm is a rural outsourced youth ministry. Actually, not a camp. We do a lot of camp, uh, but we uh, we are located there in South Boardman, just south of Kalkaska. How many of you have driven by that building before and you've seen it? Okay. How many of you have stopped in for the tour? Okay. The rest of you, stop by. Okay. <laughs> Come see us, see what we're doing there and uh, how the Lord is using that ministry, a ministry that you support and have invested so much in and see what God is doing. Uh, But it's good to be back with you this morning. Uh, As a guest speaker, you get an invite sometimes, uh, and then when they call you back again, it means one of two things. Everything went okay last time, or there was no one else available, (laughs) so... I don't know what it is. I don't care. I'm just glad to be here with you again uh, and to preach from the Word. So if you want to open up to Mark chapter 5, I'm actually going to grab my water. That's awkward. You turn to Mark 5. Oh, I do that. Thank you. The, the last time I was with you, we were, uh, we were in Hebrews 12, and we were talking about uh, being faithful to run uh, in a season of uncertainty and when everything feels so tumultuous and, and the ebb and flow of life and church and ministry, we can lose sight of what we're doing, run your race. And, and this morning, I want to call you to stay on point in this. And to keep focused on what it is we're supposed to be doing. And I'm so excited for your church to reach out to the interim ministries. I think you'll find a great blessing for your congregation and some stability as you begin and continue this search, which can be challenging. And you know, I think sometimes you might think, why does it take so long to find a pastor? And it's a long, complicated process. And uh, having interim ministries here will be a real blessing to your congregation. But I want to challenge you to stay on point during this time. To, to stay focused on the, the thing. I, I believe we could boil it all down to this one thing uh, that we should all be a part of individually and collectively and, uh, and I want to urge you to be on point this morning. Mark chapter 5. Uh, this, is a, this is a fabulous story. Um, I don't know. Sometimes you read some stories in Scripture. You ever read some and you just kind of, you kind of just push through it, but it's not really a story that catches you. You ever been there before? Okay, a few of you. Thank you for being honest. <laughs> the, uh, the rest of you are very spiritual. Thank you. Uh, I mean, sometimes you're reading the Bible and you just kind of get stuck a little bit, don't you? You ever been digging through Leviticus and you're just kind of like, oh, I'm trying to get through. Lord, I know you wrote this for me, but it is really hard. You ever been there before? Mark 5 is not that story. Mark 5 just draws you in. 
And, and the Gospel of Mark is one of my, my favorite books. Like, I tell people this all the time, okay? If you're here and, and you're struggling to be in the scriptures, like it's hard for you to get that rhythm, start with the Gospel of Mark. Start today, read a chapter a day in the Gospel of Mark. It's 16 days. And, and, and Mark was ADD before they diagnosed it. Like, you read the Gospel of Mark, it's and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then it's like over, and you're like, wow, right? That's the Gospel of Mark. And this story... Right, right in the beginning of this gospel sets the tone for a number of things that happen afterwards, but, but we're going to stick right here in Mark chapter 5 for a minute. And, and, and I want to encourage you as you look at this, for many of you, this is a very familiar story. Uh, I want to ask you to try to see it new this morning. And, and one of my favorite things uh, about the scriptures and especially about the narratives, uh, the narrative passages, is how much texture the Bible gives us when, when, it, when the Bible's telling us something. There are so many little subtle hints, and sometimes we just read the story and we miss the texture. We miss, we miss some of the keys to the story, some of the, the things that we might, if we were to really put ourselves there, things we might see in the background, things we might be hearing, smelling, like uh, draw your senses into this story. And let your senses be brought into the scriptures in general. It's, it's amazing how much the scriptures change when you feel the passage a little bit, right? Mark chapter 5 is a great passage to feel. Let's dive in. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the garrisons. And this morning, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It might be a little different than yours. This is the translation we use with our students. It's a very readable translation. And it's a fairly accurate translation. I like it a lot. Uh, but it might be a little different than yours, but, but I think they say the same things. Jesus, they arrived on the other side of the lake. Now, you, you need to do a little contextual searching here. And if you go back into Mark and you look at the parallel gospels of Matthew and Luke, uh, you realize there's been a lot going on with the disciples. And they've crossed the lake in the middle of the night. It is late at night. It's probably one, two in the morning when this story takes place. Now, doesn't that change everything that we're about to read? It's one or two in the morning, right? How do you feel at one or two in the morning? Yeah, exhausted. Some of you are like, I'm taking lunch right there. <laughs> I don't know. Most of us, one, two in the morning, uh, we hope to be sound asleep, right? Uh, not tonight, not for the disciples, not for Jesus. When they climbed out of the boat, verse two, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. When he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist, smashed the, uh, the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now, let's look at the texture a little bit. It's 2 a.m., and the boat just landed in a cemetery. Doesn't that change the story a little bit? Most of us are decent human beings and we don't like to walk through cemeteries at night, amen? Yeah. There's a few of you are like, oh, it's so peaceful. Yeah, because. <laughs> I mean, what a thing, right? The boat lands in the middle of the night and they're in a cemetery. And, and the disciples had to be wondering, Jesus, what are we doing in a cemetery at 2 a.m.? This might be another one of his lessons. But they don't even have a chance to process. 
Think of the texture, the boat sliding up on the sandy shore. You can hear the water lapping on the shore. And one of the disciples probably got out. A couple of them pulled the boat up. And as they do, they hear someone howling and screaming and shrieking from the cemetery. Comes running at them. Isn't that marvelous? Matthew's gospel tells us something else really fun about this. The guy was completely naked. Just let that sink in for a moment, okay? I know we're in church, but just let that sink in. It's in the scriptures, right? How terrifying was that moment? They've already had kind of an adventurous night, but now at 2 a.m., in the middle of the night, they're in a cemetery and a crazy naked man is running at them and screaming. Can you just imagine what the disciples did for a moment? Do you think any of them hid behind Jesus? Oh, I would have. <laughs> no question. Jesus, I think this is for you. Yeah, I'll just, I'll wait back here. Right? You don't forget stuff like that, do you? I bet you years later, the disciples, can you just picture them in the book of Acts? They, they finish preaching and they're gathered around the fire and they're just sitting there talking and all of a sudden one of them kind of starts laughing. Peter looks over at John, hey, what are you laughing at? He's like, you remember that night over in the garrisons and they all just start laughing and they're like, oh, I was terrified. And you wouldn't forget that, would you? I promise you. I was a youth pastor in Seattle when my wife and I first got married, and we did some ministry um, in a local uh, memory care facility, and most of the patients there uh, had Alzheimer's or some sort of memory issues. Um, there was one wing in particular where we had to code in and code out to get through um, because the patients there would leave their rooms and, and really not know where they were. And we went every Sunday, and we did a service, and Oh, most of the patients came from the other side and they came in and, and it was some of the sweetest services, but this is a true story. Uh, only, I, I, at first I was trying to preach a series and then I realized I, in a memory care facility, no one knows what you preached the week before. And I just narrowed it down to like three sermons, right? The, the goodness of God, the love of God, and the grace of God. And I just, I put those on repeat, Right? because it just wanted to give them something for that day to have. There was no sermon series. This sweet lady, Edna, would come up to me. She was German. She'd come up to me, and she'd be like, Pastor, your sermons get better and better every week. And I'm like, oh, Edna, you've heard the same message seven times. I'm glad. <laughs> she was so sweet. But they loved Jesus, and they loved to sing, and they loved to be under the word. And, uh, but, but one patient, her name was Norma, she lived on the other side. And so every week we'd get set up, my wife would start playing the piano as they came in, and, and I would walk over, and I would code in five, five, uh, five numbers. You code in, the door opens. And then you had to sit there and wait for the door to close, because sometimes... Uh, some of the patients kind of revert to childhood and they'd like, they're like trying to sneak out. And so you had to, you know, sometimes I'd 
you know, code in and someone's there and I, I talk to them and they're like looking at the door hoping I'll leave and, and the door shuts and, and, and this part of the wing was like a giant C, like a giant letter C. You kind of came in here, the long hallway and then another short hallway at the end and the dining area was over here and I would go about two-thirds of the way down and I walk in and there's a lady named Norma sitting on her bed, always had her hat on and she was always eager for church. Norma did not know what year it was. One time I went in there and she was sobbing because it was 1974 to her and they had just taken her car away from her and she was devastated and, and that actually had been 30 years prior, but, but Norma always knew when it was Sunday and, and she knew, she'd always tell Obadiah, Obadiah was a six foot four Ethiopian man, dark black skin, skinny as a rail, and she'd always tell Obadiah, hey, today's Sunday, the preacher's coming to get me, right? And Obadiah said, that's right, right? So I go and I get Norma, and, and she would hold this, put, put her hand right in here, and we'd walk down the hall. She had one hand on the rail, and we walked down the hall. We turned towards the door, and, and sweet little Norma, there was, there was three paintings, and she almost always commented on the middle one because there was a dog in it. And she would turn to me and go, Pastor, I used to have a dog like that. His name was Leroy or something. And go, oh, that's interesting. And we'd walk to the door, and Norma would turn to me, and she goes, Pastor, it's so exhausting being here. Sometimes I'd just like to get out. Would you tell me the code? And, <laughs> and I did. <laughs> and yeah, it's, you know, whatever it was, and we'd go through the door would shut and Norma would forget. And I'd, I'd sit her down, we'd do our service, we'd get done, I'd take her arm, we'd walk back. Pastor, it's so exhausting in here. I just want to get out. Would you give me the code? Of course, Norma. And I'd give her the code and we'd walk through. And we'd go back down the hall. We'd pass the, 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 the paintings. And she'd say, Pastor, I used to have a dog like that. Oh. We'd go to her room. Every week, this would happen. And, and often, when we got done, she'd take her hat off. She would check her room. And then I'd walk her down the rest of the way and turn the little corner to the dining hall. And she'd sit down. And across from her was a guy named Harold. Now, Harold was probably 300 pounds. He was a big man, and he was angry. His, his uh, transformation mentally had led to anger. And uh, one day I come in there, and Obadiah, who was a believer, Obadiah, he had a great accent. He'd be like, uh, Pastor, I want you to meet Harold. Harold, Pastor. And I put my hand out, and Harold had the most enormous pause. And he shook my hand, and a good squeeze and Obadiah's like Harold be nice and Harold is literally growling he's like and I'm just like I want out <laughs> you know and, and this was our routine every Sunday sometimes I go pick up Norma I'd freak her out a little bit we'd get to the dog and I'd beat her to it and I'd go hey Norma didn't you used to have a dog like that named Leroy and she'd be like whoa I'm and we just go, and we go out, I give her the code, like, week after week, right? We loved being in this ministry. My wife and I, it became such a joy for us. Uh, but one week, we finish up the service, and I take Norma down the hall, we give the code, the dog, we get to her room, and she is taking off her hat, making sure the room's okay. She comes out, literally put her arm right here, grabs the rail, and we heard the biggest belly laugh I've ever heard in my life. And this is not a happy place. You don't hear a lot of laughter. And Norma kind of looks at me and she goes, what's that, Pastor? I go, wow, sounds like someone's having fun, you know? She's like, ooh, the words are barely out of my mouth 
when Harold comes around the corner buck naked. (laughs) Do you see the terror on my face? He comes running around the corner like this. And right behind him is Obadiah, okay? So here's 300-pound Harold running down. Here is probably 150-pound Harold going, oh, uh, Obadiah going, Harold, come back here. And he's chasing him, right? And I lost my mic. That's awkward. And Norma looks, and she's like, oh, my, 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 pastor. I am like putting hand sanitizer in my eyes. I'm like, you cannot recover from that. I'm not kidding. Years later, I'll wake up in the middle of the night screaming, and my wife's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, that was a Harold dream, baby. It was... <laughs> You don't forget stuff like that unless you're Norma. I finished the walk and I'm like, I can't believe that. There's no theology, there's no pastoral class when I'm in seminary going, all right, boys, here's what you do if someone comes running down the hall naked at you, okay? I I take her to to dinner and I sit her down and I'm just like, what just happened? No joke, Norma looks at me and goes, where's the gentleman who sits across from me for dinner? God bless her, he blotted it from her mind, right? You don't forget stuff like that. It's terrifying. These disciples had this dude come running at him, naked, screaming, shrieking, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. You never forget that. You never forget that. And look what happens next. When Jesus, still some distance away, uh, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed. Listen to the texture, people. He screamed. This wasn't a quiet conversation. You ever been on the water and you can hear conversations from clear across the lake, and they're, they're just having a normal conversation? How far away did they hear the shrieks and screams of this guy? Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Now, now I want you to know, there wasn't a discussion about whether or not the evil spirit was coming out. The question was only where the spirit was going. This was not a debate like, I don't know if I want to come out, Jesus. No, the, the evil spirit's coming out. The only conversation that's being had here is where the evil spirit is going. They have this dialogue, verse 11. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on a hillside nearby. Add that to the texture. And the entire, uh, so Jesus gave them permission, verse 13. And the evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd, about 2,000, plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. These pigs are like, yeah, it's not worth it. We don't want to live demon-possessed. We're out of here, right? Can you imagine fishing the next day? Think about that. Can you imagine reeling in some demon-possessed pork? (laughs) Like, how awful would that be in a boat? I don't know. You know, you probably know the rest of the story. Here comes this guy screaming at Jesus, naked, terrified. Jesus heals him. He finds life in Christ, amen? 
And then something miraculous happens. This is, to me, the most miraculous part of the story, right? Verse 15, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Now, isn't that interesting? They weren't afraid of this man that they shackled regularly. They weren't terrified of this man that they would put in chains. Oh, he was an inconvenience for the community. A little bit of a disgrace, but... No, they were afraid when the life-changing power of Jesus came in and turned everything upside down. The crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, verse 18, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. He he meets Jesus and he begs him, don't torture me. He begs him, send me into the herd of, of pigs over here. And now he begs Jesus, let me go with you. Jesus said, no, go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns, or your Bible might say the Decapolis, and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told him. This is really interesting. The Decapolis was a a network of of cities. It was actually 14 that were connected primarily economically, but it was a huge, thriving area. And, And what's really interesting is, at least in two of these towns, we know the Apostle Paul started churches there. Wouldn't that be something? 20 years after this event, can you imagine the Apostle Paul coming to a town? And, and he meets some believers, and he's like, hey, how do you guys know Jesus? And they're like, oh, you need to meet Harold. Like, Come here. And they take Paul to town. And here's a guy in the marketplace, and he's preaching the gospel. And, and, and Paul says, you're Harold. Tell me the story. And he goes, well, I used to live in the Gerasenes. And Paul's like, I've heard this story before. And he would pull up his his sleeves and show how he used to cut himself because of the rage he felt and the the anger that was inside of him and where the shackles had been. He said, but Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed everything. That's what it's about, amen? That's what it's about. Like the apostle Paul shows up and and, and that's that's pure speculation. That's not in the scripture. I just, I I can only imagine that he showed up and met people who had been transformed because they met this guy, Harold, who told them about Jesus, the Jesus who changes everything. And and let me tell you, if there's a punchline to this message, it's right here. It's because we look at Harold and we think, yeah, we got to go help the Heralds. The reason we help the Heralds is because that's you and me before Jesus. If you don't believe me, turn right now. Go to Revelation chapter 3. I want you to see this. Revelation chapter 3. This is one of the, a series of seven letters to seven churches. And the last church, the church of Laodicea, gets a rather harsh rebuke from Jesus. It's, it's the church that, that's considered lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold, Jesus would say. And I want you to listen to how Jesus describes them. Verse 17 of Revelation chapter 3. You say, I am rich 
I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. You don't realize that you are uh, wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Isn't that Harold? Wasn't he a wretched man? Wasn't he miserable? Wasn't he living in extreme physical and spiritual poverty? Wasn't he completely blind to who Jesus was? And he was naked physically. He was naked spiritually. He brought nothing to the table. That's you. That's me without Jesus. The reason we stay on point, the reason we should cross a lake for one person Jesus and his disciples crossed a massive lake in the middle of the night for one person. And the reason you and I should be willing to go out of our way, to cross the street, to go next door, to go into the school, to be here to basketball camp for one person is because God did that for us. And I tell you, we grow up sometimes in our faith and we forget. I don't care if you were like me and you were saved when you were four or you were saved when you were 84, we forget that we were wretched, poor, blind, miserable, naked people without Jesus. But Jesus changes everything, doesn't he? There is one thing that we all need to be doing individually and corporately, and that is introducing people to the one who changes everything. Because he changed me and if you know him he changed you and I love this story because we can get caught up in it a little bit and we can be thinking oh yeah we got to save the heralds of this world well first of all you don't save anyone I've never saved anyone if I save them they're doomed And we can look and and have pity for the heralds, and we should, but it's a pity we should understand personally because it was us before Christ. In Revelation 3, Jesus goes on, I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by the fire, then you will be rich, and buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness, an ointment for your eyes so you will be able to to see. Jesus says, in me, I will take care of of your pitiful condition. I'll take care of your misery. I'll take care of your nakedness, your blindness, your poverty. In me, we can solve that. Point people to Jesus. I pray when you find your pastor that he comes and finds a congregation that is pointing people to Jesus. I pray when he comes in candidates, he says, I want to be a part of that church because they've stayed on point this whole time. They've never lost sight of what it's about. Point people to Jesus. Remember who you were before Christ. So you'll have compassion on those who don't know him that you'll remember the most important thing about people is not how they vote in November, it's how they uh, respond to the grace of Jesus Christ. Point people to Jesus. Stay on point for him. Amen. God, we love you. We love the scriptures. 
I can't get into the story, Lord, without just being compelled in my heart and, and sometimes just ashamed, Lord, of the, of the times I, I've pointed people to the wrong thing or the wrong person. Lord, my heart this morning is that you would let Mark chapter five speak to us, Revelation chapter three speak to us with a vivid reminder of who we were before you, that, that, that this, this guy who came in the gatherings, that, that was us, Lord, until you entered the picture. God, break our hearts if they need to be broken. Convict us of the sin, Lord, that keeps us from pointing others to you. Lord, help us stay on on target with you. That the greatest thing we can do with our lives has nothing to do with anything we can accumulate in this life apart from pointing people to you. May we be compelled in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, It's been a pleasure to be with you again this morning. Thank you. And I think that means you're dismissed.